Is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's healthcare coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. To this big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country. Here he is, America, Verge Bernero. And welcome to The Verge Show. It's January 16th, 2020, and we have a great lineup for you. Kevin says, I've got to smile more. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Kevin Collard is in the studio here with me to try to keep me on schedule or to make trouble. I'm not sure which. He's kind of a Millican Republican or an Eisenhower Republican, uh, which I guess makes you a moderate Democrat. Oh, I love being labeled. I guess, yeah, that's, that's I, the best. I figure just pull out the label, the label gun right away. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, I wear Levi's. But I was saying, I think if you're an Eisenhower Republican or you were or a Millican Republican, you're sort of a moderate Democrat today. But, you know, I, you can tell I haven't quite figured it out. But see, look at this is how we operate. I, I, I love being all over the map. I don't even I never know. want to be predictable. So, I mean, for those people that think I only surround myself with, you know, fellow progressive Democrats. That's, that's just, right. That's you did not. not. That's not it's me. Just not true. I don't have a litmus test like that. But, I got a lot of Republican friends. But we, uh, we're both Waterford boys. And uh, we're going to do a little lightning round here real quick. Uh, Waterford, love it or leave it? Uh, well, love it and leave it. And that's what you did. That's what I did. And that's what I did. I'll I moved to Macomb it. County. I'll always love it. But I love going home. Pontiac, Waterford, um, you know, I'd love to see them reunite. You know, yeah. Waterford, as you know, as you might know, Waterford provides the fire service for Pontiac. Yeah. Because when Pontiac, the state police and cover the police, the, police, right? the county. The, uh, oh, yeah, Oakland that's county right. Oakland County Sheriff. Right. So, I mean, in a sense, Waterford and Pontiac, I mean, they're bonded in a very strong, with a municipal bond uh, bond there. Yeah, well, we didn't even bond, you and I, when we lived in Waterford, because you were a Mott guy and I'm a Kettering guy. Well, so we had those issues. I mean, but I went to Kettering. I went over there for Spanish Four. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you got a little bit of, of uh, good Ms. education. Ms. Zuniga. Did you oh, know Oh, sure. Zuniga? Yeah. I mean, she was phenomenal. Yeah. So, and then I had my Kettering, my Kettering friends, uh, who at that time, uh, among others, uh, that was where I met uh, the then Colleen Ochoa, who became Colleen Peters. Nice. Uh, married to our U.S. Senator, Gary Peters. I uh, I have a couple of other lightning rounds, and then we're going to get to our Facebook friend of the week. Oh, we got a lot to do. We got a lot to do. We got, I let know. Let me just say quickly, we got impeachment. We got Iran, Iraq, and Mideast policy. We got trouble at the UAW and the future of organized labor. We have the debate. From last night in this brewing brouhaha uh, between uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. And we're going to have LaVara Barnes on from the uh, state uh, Democratic Party yep. and see what we can, what we can get And then we're going to put a little bow on it at the end with something you did at the YMCA last night. Yes, kind of so, cool. So uh, we've got all kinds of stuff to cover. But we, one of the things we're not doing a guest on, but I'd like to get your 30-second take on, is Pete Lucido, this Republican Macomb County 
was he a senator? Yeah, Senator Lucido, yep. And uh, he's in the news. Everyone's talking about what he did to this 22-year-old reporter. So tell me from from someone who's been a politician a, a good chunk of your life, anything you say can and will be used against you. Bingo. But, of course, we both agree that if he said these things, it was unacceptable. If he said it in the in the way in which she took it, it's unacceptable. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Kevin, I don't want to really dissect it unless we have him on. Um, but uh, so I don't, I don't having not been there. You know, you t- um, why don't we have him on and the reporter? Uh, that'd be great. I would welcome them. I'd, I'd welcome them both because the the issue, of course, beyond. I mean, yes, if he said something offensive, uh, he should apologize. And it, it, offhand, it sounded like a mistake to me. Um, and so uh, I leave it to him to explain himself. Um, and if you make a mistake, you, you know, you apologize. I, I, I've done it and I've made mistakes and I've, and, and I've owned it, you know, own it. Um, that's the number one rule. And, uh, but, but also don't, don't apologize for nothing. Don't apologize if you don't, if you don't mean it. Right. Uh, and you and I talked about off uh, before the show about years ago, and I think I've talked about it before, uh, where I, I made a statement years ago that I'd grown up with. And we'll get into it another time when we have time. Yeah. But but uh, culturally, we all come from a different place. Uh, and sometimes that will come out. It could be an honest mistake. You didn't mean to offend anybody. And we should be at a, a point where we can uh, we can correct somebody and, and move on. Because human beings, we are human. We are prone to make mistakes. If we acknowledge it, we can learn from it and go forward, you know, uh, so, so in that spirit, I hope that it's a learning. I hope it's a teachable moment uh, for the senator. Even senators can be taught. Mayors can be taught. Maybe even presidents uh, mm-hmm. can be taught to become to be more civil. But, but I, I in general, I, I, I worry about the trend of making somebody an offender for a word. Making right. somebody an offender for a word because they make a mistake. Uh, because again, if it was cultural or something else, or just an off-color one one-time thing. We should try to give other human beings some space to say, to legitimately. That's to, not what I meant. I'm right. sorry, and let's let it see. be an "I'm sorry" that is accepted let's instead of there. making yes. them have to yeah. live with the, cult, the consequences the rest of their but, lives. Yes. I One mean, last thing, and then we're going to go to this Facebook friend, and that is uh, just in ten seconds. Winner of the debate the other night. Uh, I think the, the the frankly there was nobody st- in my view nobody stood out. Uh, and I thought Mayor Pete won it. I thought I thought Biden overall. If you're not scoring points, I thought overall Biden was the winner because, frankly, no gaffes, um, and uh, he didn't lose any ground. Uh, and it's not a gaff to say I'm going to shorten my comment uh, and not run over like everybody else is doing. That's not a gaff. That's not a gaff. No, to me, I that's kind of so. yeah. It's kind of whatever, but it's, it didn't score many big points. But but I wouldn't call it a, in Biden's case. That's no gaff. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's success genius we yeah. call that success <laughs> okay no and i love the guy but you know i think i think we have a plethora i really do believe it's an embarrassment of riches now people can say oh he's just a democrat i believe it's an embarrassment and we're going to ask mike gilmore we have mike gilmore waiting on the line yeah uh who's one of our facebook friends mike distinguished himself on facebook over and over again uh, with great posts and uh so i we have not met in person in fact we haven't talked on the phone until right now so this will be my first time hearing his voice um but uh, he's from california he grew up in michigan so he's a he's a re- recovering michigander uh, now he wisely moved to california although i don't know with the fires but you do have the wine you got the woods uh there's a lot of disneyland the, the disneyland the sunshine 
Uh, so Mike Gilmore is joining us, Facebook friend, and uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about about impeachment and about President Trump uh, and if he wants uh, the debate, who he thought the de- uh, won the debates. Yeah. The Mike, good morning. Good morning. By the way, the reason I'm here is because you can ski and surf in the same day. Oh, wow. That, that, <laughs> that sounds tempting. Uh, so welcome, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for taking time out. Uh, sure. Uh, so is it a, is it a beautiful sunny day in California? Actually, no. Um, I'm up above Big Bear in the mountains of uh, or high desert of uh, Victorville, Apple Valley, and it's kind of overcast today, which is you know, rare. We get a lot of sun here, so okay, it's overcast okay. here, but probably a little warmer where you are. Well, mm, uh, about 45 degrees. Again, I'm up towards the mountains. Oh, wow. so well, again, yeah, it's it warm. gets a little bit chilly. Yeah. Hey, Mike, why did you become a uh, fan of the Verge Bernero show on Facebook? We're, we're appreciative that you did, and uh, we want folks to know I that it's out there. I one of my friends being attacked on your page by a bunch of conservatives. Okay, and I know this lady's got a good heart, and everybody was bashing on her about being a socialist and stuff like that. And I just felt like somebody should set the record straight, and I know she's a little timid, and I'm not. So yeah, so yeah, well, you, you get these Facebook bullies, uh, as you as you know, as you can imagine, Kev, and uh, you know they'll just uh, which I'm sure they title me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so because I haven't heard you make, I haven't seen you make personal attacks, and I try to wipe out personal attacks when they appear for, uh, on other people. Uh, I will tolerate, I, I will, I will tolerate them on myself, but uh, I try to wipe them out. But it's hard to keep up sometimes. But Mike has been there, really adding a lot of discernment. Uh, well, Mike, uh, Nancy finally did it. Uh, Speaker Pelosi transmitted the Articles of Impeachment of President Trump to the U.S. Senate in an historic act that makes Trump only the third president in U.S. history to be impeached. Uh, it's an exclusive club, as you know, those members whose members include Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, and now Donald Trump, as, as, as Pelosi, as Nancy would say, impeached forever, forever impeached. Um, yep. And then came the explosive Lev Parnas uh, interview. With Rachel Maddow and the and wow. the trove of information. Now I don't know if you've had a chance to catch up with that, Mike. Uh, this is this is pretty earth shattering. What what Lev is saying now. Lev is under threat of federal indictment. Uh, he's facing you know uh, prosecution and and potential years in prison. Uh, so he's singing like a bird, and uh, his stuff has to be looked into to be, see if it's corroborated. Um, but it seems to be very damning against uh, A.G. Fred Flintstone, uh, Bill Barr. And uh, we need it. it I, I think we need a special prosecutor <laughs> to investigate right. these these explosive charges. Uh, do you think that that there are going to be any? Would, do you think this the Parnav thing? Uh, do you think this is going to change anything for rational, patriotic American senators? Are there any Republicans since McCain has left? The interesting thing is when McCain left, we didn't just lose McCain. We lost Lindsey Graham. Like he, his brain exploded as soon as as soon as McCain left the stage. Graham, you know, is totally just a total psychophant and 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 uh, you know pays lip service to whatever uh, whatever he can do for for Trump. Uh, so what do you think, Mike? Are we, is there any hope? Well, here? there's every dog. Yeah, every everybody needs a dog, and uh, Lindsey Graham is Donald Trump's okay. total lapdog. Lindsey Graham, Lindsey, uh, as I like to call him. Um, the dude just did a total 180. Like you said, he used to be against wanting to, you know, let the Russians have whatever they wanted, et cetera. But, I mean, now he's just all for handing the country, country over to him on a silver platter. So, I mean, the one thing that should make everybody mad is that there's no doubt Russia interfered with our election, and they're going to do it again. 
Now, I don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, whatever. That should piss you off, plain and simple. Yeah. Okay? And if it doesn't, then don't go around calling other people partisan. Okay? Because you don't give a damn about this country if you believe that other outside influences like that should be allowed to meddle in our elections. Period. I don't care for either side. If Trump had, if Barack Obama had, had done some of the things Donald Trump has done, I'd be screaming for his head right next to these guys. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we, you I, know, here, I, I've I mean, said that's that what over they don't over get, it. okay? I, I, I don't like Trump, and I never did like him, but I didn't call for his head, so I saw him clearly violating it, the law. Exactly. And I, you know, I've said this to my friends over and over. You know, I was, look, I was not a Ronald Reagan supporter. I was not a Bush 1 or 2 supporter, but I never called for their head. I never called for that. And and by the way, when I disagreed with Obama, I disagreed. And it was on my Facebook. Yes. And people can, go back, about it people, people can go back to my Facebook and see where I criticized Obama, okay? We held him accountable. We, we would never have put up with the kind of crap that, that, that Trump gets away with we, 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 in our own party. We wouldn't put up with it. But, oh, no. There'd be a, 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 a tent of white hoods around the outside of the White House trying to yeah. smoke the guy out right now. Of course, now. of course. We if, would, was, we would, if Obama we, was in there and he had a closed-door meeting with Putin, but the oh, point man. is, yeah, yeah, I would be upset. Yes, I would, I would, the point I is, would yeah, run him immediately. That's my point, Mike. We would police our own party. We would not put up with it. Uh, no. And, and, but but so neither of the other two impeached presidents was convicted in the Senate, and it's doubtful that Trump. Will no, be. and I, I really don't believe that uh, that Trump will be either. But I believe that once he gets out of office. We're going to hang him from the highest yard arm, and the Republican Party isn't going to have anything more to do with him. They're going to disown him the way he disowned them. But if, if the, but Mike, if the Senate, if the Senate does ignore the blatant evidence of wrongdoing and acquits President Trump, what will it do for his chances of reelection? Do you think? Well, yeah, as far as yeah, as far as that goes, no, I, I don't believe he can win now as it stands, no matter what. Okay, so, and so, that's just. I mean, again, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. A broken Roomba that runs in a circle could beat him right now. And I think, and that's I think, because he's just made too many people too angry. Yeah, well, and he's done nothing to expand his base. But I and, and I think I think the polls reflect. As a matter of fact, he's shrinking it. Exactly. The American farmer exactly. is no longer with him. The farmers, the, the, look, look uh, got, Detroit automakers are no longer with him. Look, look, he got you a. You know what I'm saying? The thin does. wall that he won by is gone. Yes, exactly. I agree with you. He got. He's look, got white supremacists in, and racists. In the and last election, <laughs> in the last, I would love to see his Hispanic American support. I would love to see his Mexican American oh, support. In the last this election, this is an interesting thing because I, I run into these people out here all the time, and the, they're basically lost in the Reagan years. They still believe that the party that gave them amnesty all those years ago is a good thing, and now that of course amnesty shouldn't yeah, be allowed well, for anybody it's, else. Yeah, it's becoming clear though now that that you know anybody. Uh, of a black or brown, you know, complexion, he's he, he's not your friend. Uh, yes, but you know, the funny part is, is out here where I live, they still some of them still haven't gotten the message. Yeah, well, we got to make sure they get. They look at me like, and, and I mean, because here at the moment, I'm helping out with some some uh, uh, particular campaigns on a few things, and when I talk to some of these people, they just look at me like I'm a nut job. Yeah, so, and I'm like, okay. But, but virtu virtually no, the fact is virtually no president prior to Trump has polled this poorly with an economy that no. looks this robust. Is that due to the unequal distribution of economic benefits in today's economy or Trump's personal unpopularity with the majority of voters? I think I so. I both. Yeah, I agree. 
Both. Yeah. I go with both. Trump. Number one, he's very, very unpopular. He beat uh, Hillary Clinton by a very, very narrow margin. Okay, and, and lost by three million votes on the popular right, vote, right. which Republicans have lost seven out of the last eight on. And, and the latest and poll don't show much kind of recovery on that end either. I don't know if you've seen the poll out of your home, your old home, home of Michigan, but the latest poll in Michigan shows uh, basically uh, all of the top contenders, including including Buttigieg, beating him by at least at least two or three points, and in some cases much more. I'm missing so, something though, guys. Who's this great Democrat that's going to take this this uh, you know, election then. I, I don't see anybody... If you like, ask me, well, the, the one thing, that it's it's the message, not the messenger. Yeah, well, the okay? Epic MRA, the, the Epic progressive MRA. wing of the party is pushing Medicare for all. Okay, okay? who's the messenger the, that's going to win the, this election? That's Bernie on that the, end. The now, Epic what would be a win combination and an unbeatable one? You put Bernie and Liz together and every Democrat from here to heaven will vote for both of them. Yeah, yeah, I okay? agree. Look, the M- the Epic MRA poll recently conducted. And by the way, that's in any combination. The Epic. Yeah, I agree. I Ber- agree. Bernie and who? And Liz. Liz. Bernie and Liz. The Epic MRA poll shows that Bernie, Liz, uh, uh, Biden, um, uh, Buttigieg, they all beat in Michigan. So Michigan's a pretty good chance. Yeah. Tr- Trump is the most divisive president in modern times, perhaps in history. He is the first president in modern times who has made zero effort to unite the nation and, in fact, doubles down on division daily. So how does a first-term president who won in a squeaker in 2016 expect to win re-election in 2020 without expanding um, his base? Without Mother Russia's help or with? That's the question. <laughs> Will it be a fair election? Will it be a free and fair election? This is the first president I've seen who makes absolutely no attempt to win over those who did not vote for him. In every other case that I've seen in modern history, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, they all, after the election, said, hey, you might not have voted for me, but I love you. I want you. I want you part of the coalition. He, Trump makes no apparent effort to broaden. I'm going to make a point here. So here no, we go. he calls Trump, us losers. Trump makes no effort to broaden his base and has instead decided to go deep. He seems to have said Settled on a strategy that emphasizes depth of support instead of breadth. He's going deep, but not wide. Uh, so if you look at his rallies, his rallies are a classic example. They are an appeal to those who already love him. And they're wild. There's wild enthusiasm. But at any of these rallies, are there new people coming to the rallies or are these just diehard? You know, when, when he tweets, when he constantly tweets, he's talking to his diehard supporters. So his tweets, they're aimed at keeping his base on board and informed with the latest propaganda. I saw a poll that said 80 percent of Trump supporters get their news from Trump. They trust Trump more than any other news outlet. How does such a formula translate into a winning electoral strategy? This is my question. Where does the Trump margin of victory come from if he does not reach you out and pick up additional new supporters? I don't well, he, you want he me to answer that. He doesn't. He, but if he keeps playing the divisionist card and the game is rigged card that he has been, because it was really weird. In the last race, when Hillary, when Bernie announced that he was uh, uh, shipping all of his votes to Hillary, shortly after that, Trump started parroting his populist message. He started talking about how rigged the game was and everything right. like this. Right. So just really, really right. hitting that hard. Okay, so that's how he wins. He keeps lying, and he keeps convincing more and more and more. Brand new stupid people who are never registered to vote, et cetera, but just have enough black in their okay. hearts. 
We have to go. Uh, I really appreciate your coming on, Mike. But I think the answer is, and we're going to discuss this a little bit with Lavara uh, from the state Democratic Party. I think the answer is voter suppression. I think he can't. Oh, win, no, that too. He can't win a fair and free election. The Russians may help him, as you suggested. And then that's where big time voter suppression comes in, like what we just saw in Georgia. Just so people know, Verge isn't making this up. Georgia, Georgia the state of Georgia, just threw how many? 300,000 voters off the, off yep. the voter because they hadn't voted in how many years, Mike? Three. I don't know. Three. To be honest with you, the, 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 law, the law they Here. passed says you get purged if you haven't voted in three stinking years. It's incredible. Wow. But so in Georgia, you would think that the percentage of conservatives that were on that list are greater than the the number. Oh of yeah. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, but Republicans tend to vote so it would help more you, regularly. Not no, it's you. not going to help us. No, because Republicans vote. Democrats tend to be more sporadic. So it absolutely does not help Democrats. I disagree emphatically. Okay. Uh, all right. We have to. Uh, I really appreciate it, Mike. We will talk again. I'll see you online. Thanks for your great work. Uh, and well, by uh, the way, one last thing before I go. Yes. There's an old saying that says, "If everyone voted, it wouldn't matter what for." And the bottom line is, is if we could get 100% of the population to vote, politicians would have to serve the masses and not yeah. the money. But see, you and I and want that. You and I want itself. that. I, I, we're Americans first and Democrats second. Yep. But, but we want that. But Republicans, sadly, a key part of the Republican uh, strategy Has is, been for some is, time. It is voter suppression. I mean, I, I, couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't in good conscience belong to a party. That that does that. That that the only way they win is by keeping people away from the polls. I've always been about everybody voting. That is the American way. Give everybody mm-hmm. access to the po- to the polling place. My God, I can't hey, believe we're still having I'm this fight in 2020. The majority rule, even though I don't like it, because it's majority yeah. rule. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. We'll talk again. Take care, my friend. And uh, now we're going to take a little. Uh, I, I guess we're going to ask this question. Uh, before the break, is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals, because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's health care coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. And, of course, I remember that confidence when my dad went to work for General Motors and got the Blue Cross card. So uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, we will be back with LaVara Barnes from the Michigan State Democratic Party, the chair of the Michigan State Democratic Party. Is it possible that every person in Michigan, in every zip code, can have access to the most preferred health insurance? Can a company that is always bringing leading-edge ideas also bring the good old-fashioned roll-up-your-sleeves work we need to lift up our communities? Are we able to take 80 years of knowledge and experience and apply it every day to help everyone in Michigan? Count on it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. Welcome back to The Verge Show. Uh, On the line, I'm hoping, is LaVara Barnes, the chair of the Michigan State Democratic Party. LaVara, are you there? I am here. How are you? I should say Madam Chair. Uh, I, am, <laughs> I appreciate that. I, thank I am you. well. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's great to hear your voice. Oh, thank you. Likewise, I, I appreciate that. Uh, well, um, I have so many things. I'm just so honored that you could be on the program, and I have so many questions to ask you. Here we are. We just had the Democratic debate. You're probably tired of answering questions about this uh, apparent feud between <laughs> Bernie and, and Liz Warren. Uh, you know, two people that I... You know, I've admired uh, from the side. I've yeah. never met either one of them, but uh, 
really appreciate uh, what they've done over the years, you know, how they've contributed to our country and to our party. Um, I, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, Madam Chair, but I, I, I got to tell you, and again, I, I, I respect both of these senators, both of these human beings uh, so much, but, but I thought when, regardless of what dispute they had, Liz Warren said, Senator Warren said in her talk that Bernie was a friend of hers. Then when yeah. he reached out his hand to shake her hand, she pulled it away. I, I just thought that was bad form. Uh, I saw that. I saw that happen right there at the end as, as, as uh, poor Tom Steyer is standing there. And I mean, there I am a big a Liz Warren supporter. <laughs> I am a big, yeah. I mean, I haven't picked anyone, but I, I love Elizabeth Warren. I, I've had glowing posts on my Facebook for her. But I just thought, come on, you're a fellow Democrat who you just said was a friend of yours. Uh, you, you don't, you don't not, but, but I guess that's how she was feeling at the time. Right. You know, they're, they're both amazing individuals, as you have said, and, and in the heat of this, and she, she felt that she was slighted in a way, and, and, and that's the way she responded in that moment. I, mean, I wonder if, looking back on it, she would have done something differently, but that's, that's but, what happened in that moment. But when it comes to physicality, you know, I grew up in an Italian yep. household, Lavara, and it was very <laughs> physical, and I remember the Canadian Italians would come over, our relatives, and we would always, I remember as kids saying, are they going to pinch our cheeks? Are they gonna, because these Canadians, God love them, would just, oh, they hadn't seen us in so long, and they'd be keeping and, and, and we would try to run, and our parents would hold us right there, and they would come over and, and give you a nice pinch right on the cheek, and it hurt. Sounds painful. So when it comes to physical expressions, you know, of different kinds, it, it really is the individual's right to say whether or not they want to be yes. uh, pinched or shaken or whatever. Yes, which is, which is how I raised my kids, right? You yeah. don't have to receive a kiss or a hug yeah. or a pinch from anybody you don't want it from, yeah. well, despite that, my yeah. grandmother pushing me toward people mm-hmm. as a young person. <laughs> yep, amen. That's how, I, I mean, that's how I grew up. But So, okay, let me ask you an easier question. With Cory sure. Bo- Booker now out of mm. the presidential campaign, are yeah. you, LaVara Barnes, concerned about lack of diversity about voter choices? Of course I am. Of course I am. It, it breaks my heart that, that we have gone from that terrifically colorful the, the stage of folks at the debates to, to, to where we are now. But here's the thing. The thing I remember every time I look at this group of people, all of them head and shoulders above the current president of the United States. Any of them will be a better president of the United States. And we have this terrific group of folks who ran, who have all said, I'm going to continue working to make sure we win this election. I'm going to continue working to make sure we turn out the vote. So Corey's going to be in the field helping people remember how important it is to vote. Kamala Harris is going to do the same. They're all going to be out there having these conversations with voters. So they won't disappear. They won't be gone. They'll be like Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum. They'll still be out there doing the work that needs to get and done, despite the fact that they're not right. okay, We right. absolutely need them. All right. Very good answer. Uh, why am I not shocked? Uh, so let me move on in this, in this kind of kind of lightning round because we got to move fast. There's so much going on today. Do you think there's a certain magic in a racially diverse, balanced Democratic ticket in 2020 and beyond? So you you know first of all that I am neutral, as neutral as I can get. I call it violently neutral in this thing. I do believe that it is as important as it can be, especially seeing what we did here in Michigan in 2018, that we get a woman on this ticket. Um, I think that that's how we motivate our voters here in Michigan. That's how we motivate voters around the country. But the most important thing for me, Verge, is that we get somebody who actually speaks to all of Michigan, who comes to Michigan more than once, who has conversations with folks not just in southeast Michigan, but mid-Michigan, northern Michigan, the UP, the west side, everywhere. The, the, the fear I have is that we run another campaign where we have um, not enough focus on the full state and too much focus on southeast Michigan. So 
Southeast Michigan is important. We know that Detroit vote is important. But we're going to build a campaign here in Michigan that covers the entire state the same way we did in 2018. And I expect whoever our presidential nominee and the vice president nominee to be here all over Michigan um, after that convention. Yes. Okay. Good answer. Well, well, good. Let's move up our primary to go in front of uh, New Hampshire. Exactly. Just well, here's the thing. I, I understand the DNC's got rules and, and, and there's punishments for trying to move up your primaries and all of that, but th- Michigan is so much more diverse and looks much more like this nation than Iowa or New Hampshire. I love my friends in Iowa and New Hampshire, but look at Michigan and then look at those two states and tell me which one you think should right, be an early right, state. Right, exactly. Yep. Bingo, bingo. Yep. Yep. Yes, yep. you're right on. You're right. Let's have that debate. Okay. Uh, exactly. Okay. Are you concerned about Republican imposters infiltrating the Democratic primary and trying to impact the Democratic primary results at all? I am. I am, but I'm more concerned about the Republicans and voter suppression verge. They're going to come after our voters and try to convince them that they can't vote. They're going to try to make it harder and harder for folks to vote. And it's our job to make sure folks know how to vote, where to vote, and why they can vote. It's yes. so much easier to vote in Michigan now in 2018 than, it, than 2020 Michigan, than it was before. Michigan has done it right, right? Where other states, exactly. other states are moving in the opposite direction. Somehow exactly. Michigan, with our, with our purple right. legislature yep. and stuff, we've been able to get a praise God. So uh, yep. I will have you hopefully back to talk just about that. And, Kevin, I'll tell you right now, if we can get the Republican uh, chair to come on, if they have the nerve to talk about, because uh, because what we talked about, LaVera, before you came on, I was talking with one of my Facebook uh, friends, and we were talking about that, that as Americans— we, 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 we just should believe in people voting. You know, when we Everyone. passed the, we, I thought when the Voting Rights Act, and granted, I, was a, I mean, I was a toddler if I was born in 68, right? The, the Voting Rights Act. But having looked back and learning about that, I thought we had settled this issue. Okay. I thought right. that virtually all patriotic Americans believed in voting, in access yeah. to the voting booth. And now I see these voter suppression tactics and I get really worked up about it, LeVar. Yeah. I, I just think Be- it's un American. Because and, it's not, and it's not a partisan issue. This is, the thing that it drives me crazy. Be. How it on earth be. can you make the access to the vote a partisan issue? Come on. Everyone should vote. I don't I, think I, I, either. Go vote for whoever. Well, I want the Republican I, I don't chair. think either political party is in the suppression business. That's, I think that there are little side groups that are doing it, with potentially. All due respect, the si- with all due respect to my friend Kevin, the side group is called Trump, Inc., the side group that okay. is banking you can on say, voter suppression is Trump Inc. You can say they that it's a, all the hardcore followers of Trump. I'm not going to argue that. It's, his, it's him. My point it's is, is that Mrs. Cox director. of the Michigan Republican they have, they Party is not going to say Trump, we I, don't want people voting. Well, I want to see her. I want to see it. I want to see her on her. She won't come okay. on. I'm I'll get her on. Right now, she won't come Oh, on. no, she'll come on. Because it is Trump strategy from their basic textbook is voter suppression. It is what they are If I have to on. call her husband, I'll, I'll get her on. LeVar, Le- 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 am I right or wrong? Are they, is Trump You're not, right. Trump is banging You're absolutely right. It is the playbook. Free, they, they are deathly afraid of a free and fair election. Yes, what yes. Is it? go ahead. Yes, because when the election is free and fair, we will win. Yeah. And that's we, the problem. Absolutely. So let me yeah. ask you one She's more. She's got to no. go. So we okay, got to Okay, okay. I got one more. I got to really put you on the spot yeah. here. I, I, I'm, I'm really going to beat you for an answer here. Now, do you see a scenario? You're not going to want to answer, but I really want to know what LaVara thinks about this. Do you see any scenario where Michelle Obama could wind up, any scenario where Michelle Obama could wind up on what, the, somebody's ticket as VP, the Democratic ticket as somebody's VP? I think that anybody who is the nominee would be silly not to at least ask her. <laughs> but I think that Michelle and her husband have decided how they want to live their lives now, and that is not as elected officials. So I think it is highly unlikely that that would ever happen. Right. But I would love it. I am a huge Michelle Obama fan. All right. I'm right there with you. 
right there with you. Yeah. I can't thank She's you enough amazing. for coming on. You were great. My pleasure. Uh, I would love to come back. On the money. Oh, my goodness. Uh, keep up the great work. All right. We'll talk thank again. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Are we taking a break or are we going to major? Oh, okay. Oh, he told me that. He gave me the signal. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Major Danny Surgeons. No? Oh, oh. Uh, oh, when we come back, we're going to have, uh, yes, a distinguished professor to talk about the future of the UAW and organized labor. I stand corrected. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Welcome back to The Verge Show. Uh, we are now joined by uh, one of the leading authorities on organized labor, Professor Merrick Masters of Wayne State University, currently chair of the Department of Finance at Wayne State University, where he's also a professor of management and adjunct professor of political science. Professor Masters is uh, has served as director of the labor at Wayne and currently is writing a book, The Future of Unions. Uh, welcome, Dr. Masters. Are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're running a little late, but uh, you're going to help us catch up. So the UAW has been in the news. Uh, you may know my dad is a retired UAW retiree, 94 years old, proud UAW retiree. Uh, the UAW, oh. uh, in the interest of full disclosure, the UAW, I always give credit for doing a lot of good for my family, for helping me to have straight teeth because I could go to the dentist and be covered. Um uh, so I give them credit for the Blue Cross Blue Shield, the Delta Dental, uh, a lot of great things in my family, us really being able to get into the middle class. And now we see a UAW under siege. I have This has affected me personally. I mean, I'm personally worried and, and, and saddened. Uh, I grew up, of course, learning. I grew up personally knowing of the difference that the UAW made and, of course, learning about Victor Ruther and Walter Ruther and how the UAW was at the forefront of social justice. Uh, is it the end? For the UAW, or, or what do you see as the path? As the uh, we just keep hearing about this FBI, the federal investigation, Justice Department uh, indictments, and so on. Um, where do you think this is headed? Well, thank you for bringing that up about the legacy of the United Auto Workers, and congratulations to your father at 94 and having been a UAW member. I think that it is quite appropriate that we acknowledge at the start of any of this kind of discussion the tremendous contributions that the United Auto Workers historically have made to working people. They are really the backbone of the middle class uh, of American society and really the backbone of the auto industry, which is iconic in the U.S. Uh, with that said, the UAW is undoubtedly going through a difficult chapter, uh, and part of that is self-inflicted wounds attributable to the scandal. But I think it's important to remember that 
UAW faced structural problems to begin with before any of these revelations were made, and the structural problems dealt with changes in the industry, changes in the uh, structure of the economy and society, and also the legal framework in which they try to organize, which complicates the process of organizing. So it's a difficult situation that they faced, even when they put all the remnants of the scandal behind them. Um, so you're saying that there's some structural problems. To, uh, I'm trying to get it get it simplified. Uh, are you saying well? I think too- that, you know. You look at the fact that the UAW's membership peaked at about uh, 1.5 million in the late 1970s and declined to about 770,000 by the year 2000. And it dropped to a low of about um, 355,000 during the Great Recession. It's increased slightly since then, although there was a loss of about 35,000 members in the past year, at least comparing 2018 to 2019. We're awaiting the release of the current data for 2000, um, <clears throat> the 2000 most recent numbers uh, for the UAW. But um, all those things suggest that it, it, it's in a difficult situation. Uh, it's had declining membership for some time. Uh, it's had very little success in organizing the so-called transplants which complicates its ability to bargain effectively in the industry in other or words, makes it in other more words, difficult say, for it to do that. When you say transplants, you're talking about the, uh, whether it's... Uh, the, foreign, uh, the foreign-owned yeah, companies Toyota, that have manufacturing uh, Lexus, sites in the U.S. Yeah, particularly in the South. Uh, yes, uh, very much so. And, VW. you know, they've tried to organize the, the most noteworthy is the Chattanooga plant in Tennessee. That's the VW. Uh, without success, but... Um, Across the board, they haven't had much uh, success in getting traction in, in that segment of the industry. And hence, they're always in competition with that segment of the industry when they go into contract negotiations. So really, you know, the goal of the companies becomes how can we harmonize our labor costs with those of the um, transplant companies, and that basically means cutting the labor costs of the Detroit Three. So where does that leave us in terms of social justice? I mean, with, with the UAW being one of the leading unions, you know, that fought for social justice and so on, uh, and, and we talk about uh, this- you're, you're breaking up on me some, so uh, I think I caught the part about where are we with social justice. Yes, right. Well, um, we, we- and... Um, you know, the dec- I put this in the context of the declining labor movement. The labor movement, for a long period of time, although it's had its historical problems with social justice itself, has really been at the forefront, and certainly the United Auto Workers were at the forefront of promoting social justice and civil rights. And they struggled for things like Medicare. They struggled for things <clears throat> Um, like Social Security and and other things which have provided really important social safety nets for our society. No question. Without labor, we wouldn't have had a lot of those advancements, I think, in terms of providing for a decent quality of life for many people. I mean, the five-day work week, vacations. uh, uh, Well, I mean, you know, although we haven't legislated all those things, they've certainly been responsible for it through collective bargaining. 
which, you know, they set the bar. Uh, and so we take for granted now the kinds of things that uh, we have on a regular basis. But really, you know, workers not too long ago, they didn't have that luxury. So we have to, uh, uh, so, I apologize, let me interrupt. We, we have to go soon, uh, Doctor. But, uh, Professor, let me ask you, do you, do you foresee a Teamster-style uh, federal government takeover of the UAW from the Justice Department? <laughs> Well, I certainly think that if I if I look at the situation objectively, I think that the U.S. Attorney's Office is is laying the groundwork for that possibility. I don't know whether it'll happen, but you know the RICO, I mean the racketeering charges recently to me suggest that they may be moving in that direction. All right. Well, we're going to have to let that be the last word. Uh, I hope that you can come back on the program and we can delve into that a little bit. And, of course, there may be. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it and have a good day. Professor Masters, thank you so much. Take care. Uh, That was uh, Professor Merrick Masters from uh, our own Wayne State University. Uh, Fascinating um, and a little bit scary what's going on um, with organized labor. Maybe we can get somebody from the UAW on a future show as well. Do we have our next guest uh, on the line um, or are we going to? It's blinking. Let's give it a shot. I can't uh, see the name. I'm there. hoping this is Major Danny Surgeon, and he can tell me if I've said his name wrong, uh, who is a retired U.S. Army officer and former history instructor at West Point. He served several tours with reconnaissance units in Iraq and Afghanistan and is the author of a memoir and critical analysis of the Iraq War called Ghost Riders of Baghdad, Soldiers, Civilians, and the Myth of the Surge. Uh, I ran into, I first learned about the major on truthdig.com, where I was have been very impressed with several pieces that he's written there. Major, are you there? Are you with us? I am. Thank you for having me. I am honored to have you. Um, and thank you for your elucidating uh, pieces that you continue to put out on TruthDig. I'm looking at one of them right now. It says America's lying generals and the lies they tell. And I've read your uh, sort of synopsis about the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Army General Mark Milley. Is that correct? Uh, That's right. Yes, he uh, was the uh, Army Chief of Staff first, and then uh, he was bumped up the chairman of the Joint Chiefs when Joe Dunford from the Marines uh, finally retired. Now, Major, would you say your last name for me so I know I'm... Sure. So the J is silent, so it's pronounced Shorson, and I've been uh, correcting people since kindergarten, so don't worry about it at (laughs) all. It's Shorson? Like with an H? Shorson. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, I've got so much I want to say, so much that I want to ask you about. Um, I almost, I just about don't know where to begin. Uh, we, we have some clips uh, on this Iran, on this uh, uh, murder of the, the this uh, killing of the general, uh, Soleimani. Um, let me start with this before we run it, because I'm going to pl- run a clip or two that I want to listen to with you. But you've criticized political and military leaders for employing, quote, tactics masquerading as strategy in various theaters around the globe. Do you believe Trump and his and or his generals, quote unquote, have a strategy in Iraq, in Iran, in Syria? Well, absolutely not. Uh, of course, in this aspect, they are uh, one of the same with Bush and Obama. I, I don't believe that uh, any of the three post-9-11 presidents have really had a particularly coherent or sober strategy for the region. Uh, however, what I think makes the Trump team more dangerous, potentially, is that 
Uh, Trump has this perfect storm of personality. Um, he has an erratic temperament, uh, a massive insecurity mixed with a uh, blustering ego, and, and quite frankly, ignorance. And he surrounded himself by this point with yes men, right? Yeah. He surrounded himself well, he with rid of, uh, hawks yeah. Yeah. who will really never um, question him. And, and, and I think my point is that Mark Milley, uh, who ought to know better, given his education, his supposed intellectualism, of course, he went to Princeton and Columbia, and his long experience in his career ought to know better. Do you um, think... I'm sorry strategy you. has been lacking since September yeah. 12, 2001. I'm not certain that if pinned down in the way that Katie Couric pinned down Sarah Palin about her reading proclivities, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that if pinned down by a real interviewer, Trump would be able to actually articulate what it is he hopes to achieve in the belt from Syria to Iraq to Iran, outside of saying, we're going to make America great again, we're going to make America strong again, and we're going to make sure Iran, uh, you know, is held in check and never gets a nuclear weapon. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's not a coherent strategy in year 19 of a never-ending war. I wish you were there. I tell you, I wish you were there advising him. Do you think Mattis uh, was significantly better than Milley? I'm not even sure they had the same position. Excuse my ignorance. Would would Mattis have, have stood up to Trump, do you think? I think Mattis did stand up to Trump. Unfortunately, I've also in the past been a serious critic of uh, St. Mattis, as the uh, liberals have apparently dubbed him or canonized him. Um, you know, Mattis did stand up to Trump, but I, I think he stood up to him on all the wrong points. So Mattis resigned. And uh, I think that's the appropriate thing to do uh, when you find the chief, the commander-in-chief's policies either um, a-strategic, immoral, or uh, unwinnable. Uh, but the things that Mattis was upset about and pushed back on were Trump's at least rhetoric about pulling out of Syria, pulling out of Afghanistan, which, of course, those instincts that Trump sometimes has yeah. are his correct and yes. more prudent instincts. Yep. Yep. And so... Mattis, because he's running from the Obama-Bush playbook of never-ending post-Cold War American interventionism, hyper-interventionism, that's what he chose to resign over. What Mattis ought to have resigned over, among other things, was the fact that his Department of Defense, his uh, organization, which is the largest uh, entity in the American government, was supporting the terror-bombing starvation, and creation of cholera epidemic in Yemen through our venal support for a backwards, absolute theocratic monarchy. But you notice when 85,000 Yemeni children starved to death and America enabled and supported that effort, Mattis, supposedly the man of integrity, had nothing to say about that. In fact, he went before Congress with old Mike Pompeo and said, no, 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 we need to support the Saudis. Yes, 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 they kill journalists who write for the Washington Post. Yes, they cut women's heads off for sorcery. And yes, they are starving the Yemeni people, mostly civilians, to death. But we should support them anyway. My thought on Jim Mattis is that he did push back, but on all the wrong things. I think his integrity is highly overrated. I think his uh, supposed warrior monk intellectualism was highly overrated. Uh, He may have had a lot of books, but he was clearly reading all the wrong ones. So, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the voice of Major Danny Scherzen, uh, who has been there and knows. 
Now, I've read this guy. I've been wildly impressed with his stuff because he tolerates, he does not tolerate fools, and he tells it like it is. And your, your voice, your, your, your voice uh, in, on, the, on the radio is as good as your voice uh, in writing that I've been enjoying. Uh, we need this kind of clear-headed thinking and telling it like it is. It is complicated there. It is complicated. It is not simple. And it is not as simple as just wiping out a general and thinking that you've you've done something, uh, so so you've you've uh, I want to ask you about that because we had a previous uh, war veteran on here, Rocky Riskowski, a local former state senator, and he was trumpeting Trump's uh, accomplishment of killing Soleimani. Uh, what do you what is your view on that? As quickly as you can summarize it. Well, you know I, I, the the problem is that the surface level, the simplistic response is to say, oh, what a great thing, as a veteran, is to say, what a great thing that we killed Soleimani, because allegedly Soleimani supported Iranian militias or, or, or backed Iraqi militias with Iranian support uh, to kill American soldiers. I think the count is 603. Let's assume that's correct, although I think the intelligence is a lot more complex than that. Um, nevertheless, two of my soldiers, by the way, Alex Fuller and Mike Walsley, were killed in East Baghdad by a Shia militia backed by Iran. So uh, if anyone should be angry about it, it should be me. Here's my point. Here's how I would answer your, your, your former guest. There is no room for emotion in uh, strategy, especially war-making strategy. It's a, it's a risk-reward calculus. A- and the question is, why did Trump execute this man now? Was it strategic? Was it legal? I think it's dubiously so. And did he get the proper constitutional mandate? Of course, he did not. You know, is this making America safer? No, I think it's making Americans less safe, both at home and abroad. Uh, let's take the emotion out of it. I was angry at Soleimani at one time in my life, too, but that doesn't mean that his execution serves American interests. I mean, that's the issue. It, again, I think you crystallize it very well. Is it, is it legal from an international law standpoint, or does it put us at a distance? And are we safer? Are, 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 are American troops there on the ground safer? Are we safer from terrorism? Without it, or would we? You know, uh, one of the candidates who was uh, laughed at by some people, Marianne Williamson, has recently gotten out, Democrat candidate, and she talks about waging peace. And I don't think that's a joke. I want to ask you, a guy who has been a warrior for this country and 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 studied it and taught it, is there? Should we do more? Should we spend more? Should we focus more on waging peace? I'm not saying pacifism. I'm saying waging peace. We have a Department of War, in essence. We don't. Where is the Department of Peace? That's supposed to be the Department of State. I'm not sure it is under Pompeo. I'm, I know I'm going. No, far clearly it's not. And, and also, of course, the Department of State is wildly underfunded. Uh, it is uh, wildly underused. No one's listening to the experts who actually speak the language and know the culture. Right? We're just ignoring them. We have been for a long time. Uh, James Mattis used to say. Uh, and the stat was true at one time, that there were more members of military bands than there were foreign service officers in the State Department, right? So that, that gives you an idea of where our priorities are at. Look, I don't think that waging peace is such a wildly naive idea. And here's what I'll say. Why not, uh, you know, for John Lennon's uh, sake, give peace a chance? Now, that sounds silly, but think about this. What has war achieved for the United States in the Middle East since 9-11. Name one success. Name one major country that is better off, more stable, uh, you know, uh, more secure, more pro-American today than it was on September 10th, 2011. War, as it is currently waged, has failed on every single 
each and every singular occasion, hey, I'm ready to try something new because killing, and, maiming, and dying didn't really work amen. for my guys, and it hasn't worked for anyone for a- 19 years. Amen, amen. Major, uh, we're not done. I, I, if I can squeeze another couple minutes out of you, but I just have to say thank you for being the voice of reason. Thank you for having the courage and the guts to say something that may not make you popular in a lot of veteran circles, in a lot of military circles. When I read your stuff, from the first one to, to, to the, the one I just referred to about the generals, I said, this is a guy that tells it like it is. This is, this is, uh, this is heroic, okay? And this is why Marianne Williamson is not a complete nut, okay? She's been unfairly tarnished. She makes a lot of good points. Uh, and, and I don't hear too many of the other uh, candidates talking about waging peace. It, it, it does not mean pacifism. And by the way, uh, you're, one of your fellow uh, Truth Dig writers, uh, Jacob Bacharach, said this, quote, American forces have acted to secure commercial interests since Thomas Jefferson decided to fight the Barbary Pirates War. As American General Smedley Butler uh, indelibly observed, war is a racket. If American fighting rarely involves an explicit pecuniary quid pro quo, then it is nevertheless inextricably tied up with the interests of capital, foreign, and domestic. I know you have quoted General Smedley in the past. Uh, and, and when I heard you talk about, you know, overall, and again, what, what has war done? My question to you is, how do I, as a, as a Politico, as a pundit, as an American, uh, as somebody in the, in, the, in, the, in the debate, how do I say what you said without offending? What do I say to the veterans that fought, maybe lost a limb, the loved ones, the Gold Star families? How do I say, look, we've accomplished nothing, it's a waste, uh, without uh, without being offensive to them, without you know, without it sounding like my God, you 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 lost a loved one, you lost a limb, and, and and for naught, and yet and yet we don't want to continue to lose limbs and and used loved ones. How do we make the case without saying that look, their sacrifice really got America nowhere? You know, this is ultimately the major challenge of contemporary American political discourse. I wish that I had a hard and fast answer for you. Um, I'll give it my best, but look, I'm struggling with this. Um, the the level of uh, vitriol I receive on the internet, uh, sometimes actual hate mail, okay, snail mail, um, is 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 probably staggering for most people uh, to imagine. Um, mostly, it's easy to ignore, but when it comes from fellow veterans, sometimes even my former soldiers, that really does hurt my heart, you know, because you know they are offended that I'm saying everything they did was in vain. And they're like, sir, what happened to you? You know, but what I try to do, and I'm, I'm starting to have some success, is to say, look, no one is saying that you didn't honorably serve your country and honorably serve your teammates, right? The brothers that you love, brothers and sisters in some cases. What we are saying is that the best way to honor and thank veterans is to create fewer of them. What we are saying is that we want to make sure that those sacrifices of yours are actually uh, necessary, just, and in the interest of the country. Because what I like to say to veterans is, look, I don't disrespect what you do or what I did with you at one time. What I want to make sure is that you are used appropriately and selectively, and so that you're not the go-to button every time America has a problem. Now, 
that doesn't always work. And sometimes in my more emotional moments, I do feel like Smedley Butler, and I want to say things like, you know, he said he was a gangster for capitalism. I would say I'm a gangster, or I was a gangster for American multinational corporations and the military-industrial complex. Now, that language doesn't sell very well with the, the average veteran, right? Right. So you have to kind of take the first, the former well, tack that I was talking about. I, I That's really the best advice I, I can give, you. but I'll tell you what, we're going to be learning together because I'm struggling too. I really appreciate your attempt at it. And look, we, we, I know we honor and love their, them, their families, their sacrifice. And, and part of how we show it is to make sure that we're taking care of our returning veterans and our injured veterans and, and, and you know, dealing with PTSD and, and whatever else and, and helping them to get, you know, get back into the into the mainstream and into the workforce and so on. But uh, but yeah, to create fewer, obviously, uh, injured and dead uh, vets would be would be good. We're talking about a policy, looking at scrutinizing a policy and coming up with a policy. And like you said, a strategy to say that tactics are not strategies. We have to have a, a viable strategy, whether it's a Democrat or Republican president. Uh, wherever we go. And we should stand for certain things. And it shouldn't just be uh, gangster capitalism. We should be standing for democratic principles, too, by the way. We should be standing for participation. We should be standing for free speech and free press, the things that make America great, that truly make America great. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. We're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, Major uh, Danny Sherson, it is an honor to talk to you. It's an honor to have you on the program. I just want to encourage you and uplift you. Uh, I know you take some heat. Uh, you are a great American. I appreciate your spending this time. I hope you, we can come back on because I got a bunch of other questions that I want to ask you about uh, in, in specifics. Take care and be safe, my friend. God bless. Thank you very much, and I'm glad to do it. Hope we can talk again. For sure. Thanks, Major. That, you went to the YMCA last night. Just in 30 seconds, tell us what, what you were wanting, hoping uh, to say. A young man came up to me at the Y. I had my headphones on. I was listening to, to a podcast, probably. And a young man came up and introduced himself. Uh, a Sudanese young man, been in this country for three years, a student uh, at a Lansing High School. Uh, just asked all sorts of great questions. And I said, you know, thank you. Thank you for coming up to me. Thank you for being here. You, you know, you add to the mail. You, I'm glad you're here. He said, I'm not sure your president is glad. I said, we are glad to have you. And we're going to be talking about immigration and welcoming uh, uh, everybody in America on a future program. So Sounds that's good. Uh, that's kind of cool. And join us next time. Is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's healthcare coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card.